Good morning, East Point. It's great to be here and to see all your faces. Thank you all for who you, those of you who are worshiping online with us. We uh, are grateful to be here and grateful to be worshiping today. Last week, Gary Johnson from E2 Elders came and preached for us, and I think uh, we all deeply enjoyed that. I know I heard a ton of feedback from that about how much you enjoyed that. This week, we have one of his uh, cohorts, Dr. David Roadcup, is with us, and I can tell you a lot of things about Dr. Roadcup. Uh, first, he's got going on 54 years of ministry experience. Uh, he helped start, yeah, praise God for that. Uh, he helped start Promise Keepers. Um, and it is often rumored and likely true that he was Conan the Barbarian stunt double in the 1982 film. I don't, I don't know about that. I've had a friend put me up to that. But, uh, um, but what, here's what I want to tell you more than anything else. One of my best friends in the world is a guy named Eddie Sanders. Uh, when Eddie was about 16 years old, he heard David preach. After hearing David preach, um, Eddie made a decision to get his, right, his life right with the Lord repented uh, and started centering his life around God. Eventually, he received a call to ministry where he ended up going and um, serving, um, or I guess learning from Dr. Roadcup for three years, where he was in a discipleship group with him. And over the course of Eddie's ministry, he can look back and say that David has walked with him throughout all those different seasons. So here's what I want to tell you today. While David is going to come and preach for you today, preach for us today, and while that can lead to life change in our lives, is that David has been working behind the scenes with East Point uh, over the past year and a half. He's been here meeting with people as we've gone through different trials. He was there with me on the telephone talking through uh, when we were thinking and praying about coming to East Point. And honestly, he was a huge part of us coming here, uh, and his wisdom that he offered us was right on the mark, and we're so glad that we listened to him. So while, you're here, while you will hear him preach today, I want you to know that he has a huge heart for East Point. He loves this church, and he has been working behind the scenes um, with a ton of effort in order to help us become the healthiest version of East Point that we can be. So please welcome Dr. Roadcup as he comes to speak for us today. Thanks, brother. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to be here. This is my first time on Sunday morning being here at the church, having the opportunity to meet uh, many wonderful people and uh, to share the Word of God with you today. I thank you for your invitation and hope our time in the Word today will be a great blessing and a great help uh, for you. I would like to begin today just by talking about the whole idea of the single-mindedness of Jesus. That's where I'd like for us to spend our sermon time, the single-mindedness of Jesus. I had the great opportunity and privilege to preach at a church in Boulder, Colorado for eight years. I was their senior minister and uh, had a wonderful experience out there in so many ways in terms of uh, our church and what we saw happen there in the lives of so many people. Uh, I have to be honest with you and tell you that I loved living in Colorado. <laughs> it's a great place to live and uh, loved the people, of course, loved right, be, being right by the Rocky Mountains. One of the things that I did while I was there was I worked at the local church camp, which was probably about a three and a half hour drive from us. And the church camp literally sat up in Como, Colorado, literally in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. The camp itself was at 12,000 feet, and uh, that's very significant if you're coming even from 5,000, like in the Denver area. Uh, and then immediately behind the camp, uh, the camp property backed up to this, was a mountain called Mount Baldy. 
And the mountain was 14,000, a little over 14,000 feet. And my first year there, I found out that on Thursday afternoon, everybody in the camp, whoever would like, is invited to climb Mount Baldy that afternoon. And so I had never done a 14er like that before, so I thought it'd be fun to just try it. Little did I know what was waiting for me. The problem is that there's a small enough amount of oxygen at the camp at 12,000 feet. Needless to say, at 14,000, there's even less oxygen. And uh, we started out in groups of four or five and kind of traveled together. And I remember getting about halfway up, realizing that we were beyond the tree limit. There's not enough oxygen in there, up there for trees to survive. And so we were above the tree limit, just kept climbing. And then all of a sudden, it just hit me hard, you know, that uh, I was not in very good shape, to be honest. And uh, here we were going up to 14,000 feet. But the good news is that the people traveling in my group had about the same experience. So I'm really not making this up. This is what we did. The last, last half of the trip beyond the tree limit, we really would walk about 20 or 30 yards, and then we would, we would sit down on a rock. Some of us would lay down on the ground, just gasping for breath, basically. And we just kept going from rock to tree uh, to a cluster of rocks, little by little, stopping and getting our breath, and finally making our way to the, to the summit. And I have to tell you that for all of the hassle to get there and the trouble we had breathing and the incredible fatigue that goes along with that, when we got to the top, there were probably 30 other people up there who were there first. We all got together and just stood and looked out over, over the, uh, the valley. And there is a, a massive valley, probably 30 miles uh, around, covered many of them with snow-covered peaks. And uh, just being able to see this incredible uh, glory of God there in those mountains, the power of that moment. Uh, we uh, were also taken, we simply gathered in a group and we sang How Great Thou Art, and then had a season of prayer together, just thanking the Lord and praising Him for His incredible, incredible um, uh, uh, creation. Now, I tell you that story because from my heart today, the only way I made it to the top of the mountain was really just to take one incremental part at a time. Just one 30 or 40 yard segment at a time and just kept doing that, <clears throat> knowing that if I kept moving forward, kept moving forward, that I would eventually get to the top. And this story has actually a lot to do with the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the things that he went through getting to his final goal. Uh, we know that Jesus had a goal. We know it exa exactly what it was. You know, sin entered the world, of course, with Adam and Eve. We have all been under the plague of sin uh, all through the, the history of mankind. Uh, Jesus comes as our Lord and Savior. He does his earthly ministry. He teaches. He's arrested, put on trial, crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended. And Jesus Christ wins our freedom once and for all, gives us that freedom. And in the midst of that, some Pharisees were with Jesus one day, and they said, they said the following words to him. This is from Luke 13, verses 31 and 32. <clears throat> this scripture says, Just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to Jesus, Go away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. The third day I reach my goal. And brothers and sisters, this is my message to you today. Jesus had a very clear goal in his mind that he would come to earth and be the sacrificial lamb 
that takes away the sin of the world. That was his goal. And he let nothing deter him or nothing stop him until he finally and completely sealed our salvation. In, in his journey, there were several groups of people that did a great deal and sometimes not, not so much a great deal, but were still there as well, trying to stop him or impede his progress. And I'd like for us to take just a few minutes this morning in this sermon to look at some of the events in Jesus' life where he was actually fighting against people, sometimes even his own friends, to complete his goal. The first group I would like to look at today, uh, first uh, entity I would like to look at, is actually Satan himself. From the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're not going to read this text word for word, but I just want to kind of describe to you what happens. Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. He then, the scripture says, is immediately actually led out, or even one translation says, driven out into the wilderness, where he spent 40 days fasting and praying. Now, we know that this was a time of him preparing himself for his public ministry, for his teaching, his preaching, and ultimately to go to the cross and to give his life for the world. Time of preparation. And it says that at the end of the 40 days, Satan actually appears to him and puts him through a series of temptations. First of all, he says, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus said, I, I, I am the Son of God, but he said, you must know also that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Interesting, in all three of these temptations, when Jesus is tempted, he always quotes Scripture back. That's a great lesson for us to practice in our own lives as well. I want to note today also that Jesus had this Scripture memorized. When he was needing scripture, he didn't have to stop and out of his backpack take a scroll and un un unroll the scroll and say, I know this verse is in here somewhere. As soon as he was tempted, Jesus quotes scripture to Satan in terms of rebuffing him. Uh, Satan comes to Jesus then, and secondly, he says, um, I want you to stand on the top of the pinnacle of the temple and jump off when people are in prayer to show that you're the son of God. Now, this sounds like kind of an odd situation to us, but Jewish tradition said that when the Messiah of God came, it, he would come when everybody was in prayer around the temple, and he would jump off the pinnacle of the temple and float down, and that's how they would know the Messiah had arrived. That was actually a, a belief that they had. And so Satan is playing off of that belief. And the third thing, of course, was Satan comes to Jesus and says, you see all of the great kingdoms of the world, the great kingdoms, Egypt, Greece, Rome, Babylon, all of the great kingdoms. You can see these, Jesus, out here in front of us. All of these I will give you if you will simply fall down and worship me. And, of course, Jesus said, uh, th th this is not going to happen, and I'm not going to participate in this. Be gone, Satan. And Jesus encounters each of these temptations, uses Scripture, and does not allow Satan to deter him. Now, unless we think that Jesus kind of just breathed through this temptation period, let me mention that one gospel writer says that after Jesus experienced these temptations, the drain was so great and the struggle was so great that angels were sent to minister to him after the temptation. So Jesus withstands an incredible onslaught, direct onslaught from the evil one to make sure that he finishes his goal. The second group we'd like to talk about is kind of a milder experience, but it, it was actually with his family, his mother and his brothers. 
In Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Matthew writes and says, While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? He stretched out his hand toward the disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, admittedly, this is a milder, milder uh, situation. But Jesus is maybe waiting for the noon meal. The house where he was in filled up with people, as it always did. And they were out the doorway and standing outside at the windows, listening to him, him preach and teach. Jesus' mother and brothers appear and they kind of saw that they couldn't get into the building so they kind of sent word in and said uh, would you tell Jesus that his mother and brothers are here and they need to see him and so they actually passed the word up to him and Jesus not being disrespectful here but he uses this as a teaching opportunity and he said I, I will see my mother and my brothers in just a little while but 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 let me ask you to think about this who, who are my mo- my mother and my brothers Those who do the will of God in their lives, those are my mother and my sister and my brother, brothers. And very powerful lesson here uh, to us in terms of obedience to the Lord. The third group that came between Jesus and his goal were basically the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. You know from studying the Gospels how that from Jesus' first entry into his public ministry, where he came forth and started preaching and having Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and lawyers in his audiences, Jesus Jesus right out of the chute, just as clear as he could be, called out their hypocrisy, called out the fact that they taught the word of God on a regular basis but did not obey it themselves, taught that they laid heavy, heavy burdens on people of legalistic approaches to God, but they did none of those things themselves. And Jesus begins calling that out and pointing that out and immediately made many, many serious enemies. As a matter of fact, he made them so angry on occasion that Matthew uh, tells us what their response was. I'm sorry, Luke tells us what their response was. In Luke 22, verses 1 and 2, Luke writes and says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. Listen to this. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death because they were afraid of the people and and ultimately of his popularity. So we know that Jesus had a major, major battle with the religious leaders of the day because the vast majority of them were living incredibly hypocritical lives. They were interested in glory and personal recognition and making as much money as they possibly could. And Jesus simply calls them out. And after numerous times of doing that, of course, they they plot to kill him, and obviously finally did. His own disciples also, in addition to Satan and his family and the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, his own disciples also form a little bit of a stumbling block for him on one occasion. This is in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. Mark writes and says, And Jesus began teaching them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he he was stating the matter plainly. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is very interesting, sixth in scripture, isn't it? His own disciple is taking him aside and saying, Lord, we're not going to let this happen. But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Now, we might feel like this is a very stern rebuke to Peter, which it was, but Peter was simply speaking for the rest of the disciples. And brothers and sisters, do you see Peter's heart here? Do you see what his real motive was? I mean, really trying to protect Jesus. He didn't want anything to happen, not knowing that he was standing in the way of the salvation of the world. And to teach Peter a lesson and to get the attention of the disciples, Jesus says, Peter, Satan is speaking through you right now, this minute. Get behind me. The way men think many times are not the way that God thinks. And so, brothers and sisters, even the disciples, in, again, a milder way, were standing in in the way of Jesus actually fulfilling what God had called him to do. Now, if Jesus experienced a situation where he had spiritual warfare in his life and where he was trying to accomplish his ministry to usher in the kingdom of God, Brothers and sisters, here's my question today. Will Satan not do the same to us as well? There are two categories I'd like to talk about as we conclude the message today. The first one is how Satan attempts to thwart individuals, how he will go after individuals. Let me just mention that when you are living a life in the flesh, not a Christian, away from God, Satan has you as his property. He's not worried about you at that point. But when you decide to move away from him, move out of his clutches, and give your life to Christ, Satan does not release you without a fight. Listen to me this morning. He does not give up one inch of ground without a fight. Even after you have been secured in Christ, he will continue to seek to bring you back to his hoard and your former way of life. I know that for a fact, once we become Christians, many times the target is greater on us than even before uh, when he had us in his clutches. This uh, rings true to me so clearly in a situation I had with a man in a church that I served in 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 Atlanta. Uh, I had a woman in our church come to me and say, my husband is not in the Lord. He's uh, not actually opposed to church. He just wants nothing, uh, nothing to do with it and won't come to church with me, wants nothing to do with spiritual things. And there's some interests that you share with him, I know. Could you just call him and meet him for lunch and just begin building a relationship with him? And I told her that I I would really be glad to do that. I had the time. And so I called Brian and I said, Brian, this is David Roadcup. You've never really met me before, I think. But your wife seems to think that we might have some interest together. Would you you like to meet me for lunch someday? And let's just uh, get to know each other. And he said, I actually can't do lunch because of my work, but I could do breakfast if you want to do that. So we met the following Wednesday, and we met for breakfast on Wednesday morning uh, every week for six months. And I will just tell you that he was a hard nut. He really was. He loved his life and loved the sin that he was involved in and didn't really want to give his life to Christ. And I just kept talking to him about spiritual things very gently, just kept encouraging him, uh, kept loving him, kept reaching out to him. Finally, it was six months after we started meeting, he came into the meeting one day, came into the diner, sat down, and he said, Dave, I want to tell you what I did last night. He said, uh, through the incredible influence of my wife and our times together and all these breakfasts we have, my wife had gone to bed, and I went into our living room, and I knelt down at the sofa, 
in our, in our living room, and I prayed and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And yes, such a wonderful, wonderful victory for him. So we baptized Brian, and he started on his personal growth time. Let me just tell you that it was really a very, very few weeks after he was baptized. I got a telephone call from our church admin saying, Dave, Brian Pickett's house is totally engulfed in flames, and you need to get down there right, right away. I drove down to Brian's house, and you all, it was such a heartbreaking scene. Police cars all over the place, fire engines spraying water, uh, just, and Brian and Judy are standing out here on the, in the street, across the street, and I just went to them. I put my arm around Brian's shoulder, and I said, Brian, I am so sorry. I know this has to be heartbreaking. This, is, this, this would be a tough situation for anybody. And you all, Brian, less than six months old in his faith, said to me, Dave, I, I know what's going on here. I know this is an attack from Satan to try to take away my faith once I've found Christ. But I will tell you that this makes me, gives me more resolve to stay on the path and to, and to follow Christ uh, than anything. I'm strong. I'm there. I'm not going to fall away, and I'm going to meet the Lord where I need to meet the Lord. And what, what a wonderful victory. I said to myself in that moment, you know, not bad from a guy who's been a Christian for six months. Pretty incredible, incredible testimony on his part. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, let me tell you this morning that Satan will do anything he can to attack you personally, attack your marriage, attack your children, attack your health, just, just attack you in every way possible. He'll use doubt. He'll use difficulties personally. He'll use personal problems, temptation, fear, criticism, financial problems, personal loss or the loss of our health. He'll use whatever he can to pull us away from the Lord. And please know that spiritual warfare is a very, very real part of the Christian life. One of the things Satan would love to have you do is just not think about him. And just not think about the fact that we're really, truly in a spiritual battle every day that we're living in Jesus Christ. So just understanding that part of the spiritual battle we face really comes from Satan doing anything he can to bring attack, discouragement, and struggle into our lives. I know, brothers and sisters, that the last year and a half has been a little bit of a tough time for our church here. There have been some major storms, some potholes in the road. It's been really tough. And then when you add to that the whole idea of COVID and what's going on, how COVID has affected all of our lives, brought in several layers of difficulty, gotten us out of our normal path, uh, I know that, it, that it's been a tough time. It's been a tough time, truly, for all of us in some ways. I simply wanted to come today and just remind you of this fact, you know, that God was not surprised by anything that's happened over the last two years. This was not a surprise to God. He knew that, th that things like this were going to happen, and He has been preparing us and helping us and encouraging us. I'd like to just say this about COVID. Please trust me that you're not in this, uh, in this sojourn by yourself. <laughs> we're all experiencing the same frustrations, the same uh, difficulties together. I, I am not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but today here in our service, I, I want to prophesy about something and tell you that there will come a time down the line when COVID will be knocked down and our lives will come back together to a pretty normal, normal semblance. I know sometimes we feel like we don't know if that's going to happen since it's been eight months, but I will tell you that, that 
couple of months, three months, six months from now, however, however long it takes, COVID will be dealt with and be tremendously decreased, and our lives will come back to some semblance of normalcy. Until that happens, though, we must think about Jesus not being deterred from reaching his goal. And today, I want you to be encouraged to not be deterred from living the kind of life the Lord wants you to live, from serving in this church, uh, from being a good citizen, from doing good work, all of those things. Let's keep our focus clear and keep moving ahead the way Jesus did to reach his final goal for sure. But Satan not only attacks individuals, but finally today, just know that Satan also attacks churches as well. He attacks churches. One of Satan's greatest delights is to attack a church and slow or even stop its progress, hopefully temp- temporarily. One of the things I know about our Promise Keepers events, I was uh, on the board of directors and one of the founders of Promise Keepers for 11 years. And I will tell you that I saw things that, that uh, uh, just took me to heights spiritually I never thought I would live to see. The amazing, wonderful things that God did in the lives of men and consequentially in the lives of their marriages and their children as well. Uh, to really right the ship and to do wonderful things there. One of the things I found out, though, is that Satan is a dirty street fighter. Listen to me today. He will stop at nothing to bring you down and to do as much damage to, to our church here as he possibly can do. He will attack in all kinds of ways. When Satan comes into a church to attack a congregation, many times he brings his minions with him And he dispenses his minions to the families in the church and will try to do as much damage as he can. But I will tell you that Satan always saves the leaders of the church for himself. Today, if you're a staff member in this church or an elder, elder's wife, if you lead a small group or work with children or uh, or coach a basketball team or do any of the things in this church as a leader, please understand that you have a, a large bullseye on your back. Because Satan knows that if he can take the leaders down, it tremendously affects the life of the church. Jesus, of course, himself said, if you strike the shepherd down, the sheep will scatter. And so I would encourage you to pray for the leaders of your church and put a hedge of protection around them during this time of temptation, during the time that Satan would do whatever he could to try to attack us. Satan will do things like this. He will get uh, factions started in a congregation. And there are all kinds of things that start these factions. I've worked with congregations, I'm not making this up, true story, where the church split right down the middle over the color of the carpeting, new carpeting in the fellowship hall. I'm not making that up, you know. I mean, just things like that. If he can get one of the elders' wives mad at the church maintenance person. I mean, mean, the list just goes on and on. How can he find ways to divide us? And I've been in congregations where some issue came up during COVID, where half of the congregation thought they should wear masks, the other half didn't, and working with the church right now, where the church church started to split over that issue. You see what I mean when I tell you that Satan will do anything he can to divide us, to get us angry at one another, to start, start creating bitterness and anger and frustration in your heart and in your mind. And this is toward another Christian brother or sister. Brothers and sisters, listen to me today. We need to know Satan's wiles. We need to know what he does to divide, divide churches and divide church members. And I simply want to encourage you in this point. 
Always be a part of the, of the solution, never a part of the problem. As much as it is within you to live at peace with all men, do everything you can. If you have been offended by someone, do Matthew 18, and in love and prayer, go to that person and just share with them about what you experienced and talk about it. If you feel like you have offended someone, go to that person in the spirit and love of Jesus Christ and talk to them about that. That's exactly what Matthew 18 tells us we're supposed to do. We need to do everything we can to take care of the unity of the body of Christ in every way possible. One of the times after 27 years of church consulting, one of the things that I've seen is when a church, when a church minister leaves before another one is hired, in that period, many, many times, Satan will bring some of his strongest attacks into the life of the church. And recognizing that and knowing that when we're looking for a new minister, uh, if that, when that happens, if it happens again, just protecting the church during that time and making sure that you're doing all you can do to build unity and to be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, Satan is real and spiritual warfare is real. And today, I just want you to know that sometimes staying our course, obeying the Lord, following Him and what He wants us to do is really winning in the battle. Please understand that if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are not exempt from spiritual warfare in your life and in your family. And I want to encourage you to be aware of that and to know this incredible point of teaching from the book of John. We know what the last chapter says. We know what the end of the book tells us. Here's the bottom line. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And in the end, brothers and sisters, the church will win. The church will win. Trust me, it's so true. I just wanted to encourage you in that point and just understand that staying the course, following the will of God in your life, staying true, staying, staying strong, just sometimes taking one day at a time and making it through one day sometimes can be a very, very great victory. You just know that God is behind you and he will help you in all of those things. Just one final word as we close. I want to mention, and please trust me when I tell you that I don't say this at the end of every sermon where I go to be a guest to speak on a Sunday morning. I want you to know that from working with our church here for a year and a half, uh, one of the things that I'm excited about is the incredible potential that this church has. You know, God has brought you a wonderful new minister and his wife and his family. The building that you have, the location here in the city that you have, I want you to know that the potential for this church is incredible. And I can't say that really about every church that I work in. This church has unlimited potential. I hope you'll recognize that God is in this church. He's blessing this church. And I believe God has an amazing plan for the next 10 years in the life of this congregation. And I want you to be a part of that. And I want you to be a strong warrior. And I want you to guard your heart and be strengthened as this church moves forward. Um, I think that it's very rude for a speaker who's been invited as a guest to invite himself back to the church. You, you, you don't do that. You just don't do it. But to break protocol today, can I, can I just ask you to do this? Will you call me a number of years from now and say to me, you know, we'd like to have you come back and preach on, on a Sunday morning. And I, I promise you, I, I will do that. Here's what you say to me. Now, you'll have to speak in all five of our morning worship services. You know, we're running about 2,500 now here in our church. We want you to meet with all of our staff, about 18 staff altogether. 
meet with our wonderful elders and, uh, and, and whatever else you want me to do. Brothers and sisters, I think that that is in the Lord's heart. I think he is calling this church and set the church up to go there. Please, trust me. And if you say, well, you know, we've never really run 2,500 before, that, that, that doesn't make any difference. You know, I have very, very close friends who minister in churches of five and 10,000 every weekend and are, are doing huge things for evangelism all around the world. I believe that if this church has a heart for the lost and this church would like to see that happen someday, I believe that God would answer that prayer and that's where God would take this congregation. So I just want you to know that in the future, a number of years from now, I'll be waiting for your call. <laughs> and I will come and I will rejoice with you in what God is doing. Yes, great, really. In what God is doing in the church. And I will come back and rejoice and see the wonderful, wonderful kingdom things that God is growing. Here's the point, though. We have to keep our focus clear. We have to keep moving forward. Let's pray, and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the knowledge of knowing that you are the greatest power in the universe, and that, Father, our lives and our families and our health and our finances in this church are all in the palm of your hands. Father, I want to thank you for every woman in this, in this building right now, every uh, woman watching online. I thank you for every man, for every young person. And just pray, Father, for your blessing and your encouragement and your protection and your anointing to be on each and every one. Father, we look forward to what you're going to do in the life of the East Point Church. With the great blessing, the great guidance, and the great anointing you're going to bring. And we wait, Father, for your plan to be unfolded. Give us strength and give us perseverance. We love you, Father, and praise you. In the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.